1: The Filius Club is supported by its listeners. If you enjoy the show, please consider going to patreon.com slash Club and giving a couple of bucks. Hey everyone, this is the Felix Club number 96 for October 2017 and it's a special on Ireland. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Phileas Club. This is a show where we do two kinds of shows, actually. The regular episodes are those where we get people from different countries and cultures uh, around the world and get everyone to talk about what's been happening in the world, and we sort of get different opinions, different takes on those things. And the special episodes, we focus on one specific thing. That might be a country, it might be... uh religion, or even something else. And uh, this is one such special episode. My name is Patrick Beja, and today we are going to be talking about Ireland. And uh, to help us do that, we have Bart, who is from Ireland. So how are you doing, sir? I am doing just fine, Patrick. It's absolute pleasure to talk to you. I'm very happy uh, we finally get a chance to do this. We've been talking about it for a long time and um, we never quite found, found the time or in my schedule, I have to admit, I, I'm the culprit, uh, but we get to do it now. And uh, in a time when there's lots of stuff happening in Ireland,
0: un, unconventional, un, you know, um, unusual yeah. stuff. Yeah, I, I got a lot of tweets earlier this week from friends and family on the internet, well, many friends on the internet all around the world who were surprised to find Ireland mentioned on their news along with the word hurricane. Yeah, so
1: let's talk about this a little bit very quickly. Uh, then we'll dive into the, the the main course of the show, which is basically I would like uh, you to describe to us what it is like to actually be living in Ireland and sure. what Ireland is, and you know, get for people who have only seen it through the lens of popular culture, maybe to understand what life actually is there. And um, sure, it's it's not going to be as different as, you know, maybe Venezuela, we talked about a a few uh, weeks ago, or, you know, other very foreign countries for most of the audience who is uh, Western, I I think. Um, Mm -hmm. But there are still some... Preconceptions. I'll I'll shower you with some of them <laughs> later. Okay, and
0: I'll I'll beat them down. That's okay, okay.
1: Excellent. Um, but yeah, first that. What's that crazy hurricane thing?
0: Yeah. So we had a hurricane that went the wrong way across the Atlantic. They're supposed <laughs> to start in the east, move west, and smash into America. That's that's you know the earth spins, and that's what normal hurricanes do. And then on Monday we had one which came the other way and came. It went west, or oh, sorry, east across the Atlantic towards Africa, and then turned north and just went straight for Ireland, just like, poof. And, and so how it hit
1: us? How bad was it? And also, you're unlike the people um, in on the the eastern coast of the U.S. who are who we hear about a lot and terrible hurricanes, and they're they're pretty bad, and but they're usually uh, accustomed to it. So as bad as the destruction is, mm. um, they're uh, somewhat prepared? I'm guessing Ireland is not
0: prepared at all. No, th- th- this was a whole new experience. How did it go? It was, well, all in all, it went pretty well. Now, we still have, I think it was, I think I heard in the news yesterday evening, 50,000 homes without electricity. So it's not that it was nothing. But there were four fatalities, which is not a huge amount for a hurricane. So I think... As hurricanes go, I think we did okay. Uh, What surprised me and actually what surprised pretty much everyone is how well organized our government were. It's not something we're used to saying. So, you know, we we had, in fact, the the government reacted quite well. So all schools were closed um, and things like that. And there was our weather service was great. There was a national emergency center set up. They were constantly on live television from that national emergency center. That background now is, is etched in everyone's brains. It was really good information, constantly kept up to date, great advice coming all the time. And it was really weird because normally over coffee and work, we discuss how terribly badly the government have messed stuff up. I mean, that's what <laughs> everyone does in every country, right? Of course. Uh, we came back into work after the hurricane and everyone agreed that our government did well. And I've never seen that happen before. So there's always someone who raises a voice and says, no, they're useless. But no, everyone was like, no, this was handled well. So is that something
1: that people always say, I mean, the government is bad. I have to say like, in Finland, um in France we would say, ah, oh, the government sucks, but you know, there are there are some services that we need that they do okay. It's not like it's interesting. I think it's true that everyone hates their government, but in France yeah, hate as, is probably too strong a word. It's yeah. The it's Americans hate their right government. <laughs> it's, yeah, for yeah. us it's different. Yeah. Um but for so okay, for France. It would be like there can be, so, it's inefficient, but it's still better to have some, you know, basic. Things being taken care of and available to everyone um, than having it messed up in some areas like, you know, education, obviously the army, police, but uh, healthcare, stuff like that, which is a debate that often comes back. And we get sometimes good service, sometimes basic service. And yes, there are inefficiencies, but it's good that we get them. And then in that context, people complain about it. I think... In Finland, people are a lot more happy with the work their government does. Um, I think people are a lot more responsible. So you can trust people in Finland, meaning there is some corruption, you know, some uh, like in every country, but it's it's ridiculously low compared to the other countries. So even though I'm sure Finns also complain about stuff in general, my impression is they look at the government and think, yeah, all right, it's 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 not too bad, you know, it's it's acceptable. So there isn't like, oh, the government is horrible, it shouldn't be handling this or that, and uh, overall. So I'm yeah. curious, in Ireland, is it more the American way of, ah oh, government oh, is no, horrible? No. Again, I, I understand in America some people... No, so
0: it, it's it's not that there's an objection to the fundamental concept of government, which is kind of what's going on in parts right, of right. America. The, the belief yeah, is that... I think that's that, a you know, fair
1: characterization.
0: yeah. Here it's more a case of... We like to complain, and it is always true that no matter what the government do, they could do better. There is always room for improvement. So when you have Irish people getting together over coffee and work or whatever, they will they will f- focus on all of the things that are not that they don't like. Right. But if a foreign government or a Donald Trump or someone disparages our government, we will leap to their defence. How <laughs> dare! Tony Blair say something nasty about our government or whatever. So, yeah, we absolutely love to complain about them. But at the same time, if someone internationally dares to say a bad word about the Irish government, we'll leap straight to their defence. So it's it's very much complaining because that's the done thing. And at the end of the day, it's never perfect, right? Because a government is a massive bureaucracy always. And there's always going to be something that's not as it should be in, in Ireland. We ha- the issue we have is healthcare, but not in the sense that we don't feel the government should do it, quite, quite, quite the opposite. We feel the government absolutely should do it, and they're not doing it well enough.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if we talk about healthcare, that's the um, <laughs> consensus around the world. Everyone agrees except for the Americans, again. Um, who don't know because they haven't tried it. Uh, all right, let's not <laughs> get into that one. Um, but so, yeah, uh, things went well for uh, the hurricane or, you know, as well as they could be expected yeah. to. Yeah, I'm guessing I think people th- are, I mean, the government's um, image is going to be improved after this.
0: Well, I mean, I'm not sure it's going to have a massive effect one way or the other. It was basically everyone was sort of expecting it to be handled badly. It was handled well. That'll be remembered for five days or so. And then that'll be forgotten (laughs) about because that's not as much fun to complain about. Um, And everyone has now moved on because we have Storm Brian bearing down on us, which is going to hit us um, by it's due to arrive here where I am by about lunchtime today, which is why. I am keen to get out on my bike and get my exercise in before the weather turns. Right now, the sun is shining and the sky is blue and it's gorgeous. But I've looked on the weather radar; it's really angry south of me, and that's on its way. Wait, wait, wait!
1: The sky is blue. The sun is shining. Yeah. You've just betrayed the fact that you're not actually in Ireland. That well, here's the thing. Okay,
0: here's the thing. The first myth is that it always rains in Ireland. That's True and false at the same time. So there's a saying here that if you don't like the weather, you should wait five minutes. <laughs> so there are very few days when it does not rain. But there are very, very, very few days where it rains all day. Hmm. Very few. Like I, okay. cycle, I cycle everywhere. I cycle to work. And I get unavoidably wet less than ten times a year. Usually it's a case of I'll check the weather radar and say, oh, if I leave for work half an hour early, I'll be dry. If I leave at my normal time, I'll get wet. So because we're on the Atlantic, because we're right on the edge, our weather is really changeable. Mm. And so most days there is rain, but it's very, very rare that that it's just rain. Very rare. So where are you situated in Ireland? I am a little inland of the East Coast, so um, just outside the county of Dublin. So still sort of in the Dublin so the suburbs. S- psychological Dublin. area, mm. if you get okay. what I mean, but outside of the actual administrative area. Fair enough. Um,
1: all right. Anything else about uh, the the uh, hurricane? I sort of <laughs> cut you no, off a little if you don't.
0: I, no, I think that's, uh, I mean, like I say, the big thing here, actually, well, the other thing that's noticeable culturally here, compared to, say, our American listeners, there is zero doubt about the fact that climate change is happening and that we need to start being ready for this. And that's one of the things that every every minister was like, okay, so this was, you know, we had our national emergency center, we had our national organizing committee and stuff. And as much as we don't like it, we need to get used to this. And, uh, you know, there are lessons to be learned, and we'll do we, we do, do better next time. And I, I think they did well. So the fact that they're saying that there's lessons they can learn is great. Uh, but everyone agrees, we need to get used to this because of global warming. That's not controversial. That's not people shouting and screaming at each other. That's, we get it here, right? It's, it's just, it's a non-issue that global warming exists. I think,
1: you know, I don't want to keep referring to the US, <laughs> but when we talk about things like this, it's important to note again that pretty much everywhere, just like healthcare, um, yep. it's an accepted fact. And uh, yep. it bewilders everyone, the, the attitude of the US in that regard. So, and and I'm not even saying this like, you know, pointing my finger and wagging it, it, it at you know it's maybe the thing. conservative listeners. It's just hopefully you come to the show to get the views of other people, and it's not like just oh, we all have different views. It's just we all agree. It's pretty obvious, and we just don't understand how it's different for you guys. But um, all right, let's let's talk more about ireland itself and uh, how things go there and if you indulge me i'll say mm-hmm. a few things that come to my mind when i think about ireland okay uh leprechauns oh uh, dear we're rain, into
0: paddy wackery already <laughs> <laughs> um rain uh yeah, we cover that one <laughs> catholics Many of them. Oh, oh, there's so much to say about that. <laughs> um, and you don't have to
1: take them, you know, as they... they uh, Sure. Exactly as I said them. But um, So Catholics. Um, terrorism, which is, I understand, you know, Northern Ireland. I'm not sure how oh, that... Oh, there, there went, is
0: something but, we definitely need to talk yeah. about, because much of the
1: world is extremely confused about yeah, that whole thing. Exactly. And uh, probably, I, I have to be fair, I have to say a... A uh, fiscal heaven for tech companies that want to operate in Europe while paying an unfair share of taxes uh, I- because their headquarters are in Ireland, which angers everyone. Rightfully
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a complicated right, so, one. That's a yeah, very course. interesting one, but that's not a, that's not a straightforward one because
1: yeah, it's no, not of black I mean that one white. is complicated.
0: That, that yes. was is complicated and we might get to it, but
1: I, I want to get more of the cultural, you know, sure. uh, uh, context of the country and how it's evolved and all of this. Um, so, yeah, Ireland, go.
0: Well, I guess Ireland is a nation that has changed a lot. So for a little bit of context, so I I have, as far as I'm concerned, I have lived, all of my life I remember I have lived in Ireland, but I'm not genetically Irish, because neither of my parents are Irish and I myself don't have an Irish passport, despite the accent. Um, I carry a Belgian passport because I was born in Belgium and moved to Ireland at age four. And I was put into school without a word of English and just let let go. So basically I started, I, I came here at the age Irish people start school and I was just put in school without a word of English. And a few weeks later, I was speaking English with a local accent. <laughs> Oh, so, uh, since you know. you're talking about
1: school, um, do you learn? So, I I I, I learned this uh, basically this morning when mm-hmm. my wife told me um, mm-hmm. Ireland is a
0: bilingual co- country to an extent. So, there's Gaelic <laughs> in school, or okay, to an extent. Oh, there is. Yes, technically correct, and that extent is extremely small. But yes, to an extent. So, officially. The official first language of this country is the Irish language, as we call it, or Gaelic, as everyone else seems to insist on calling it. We just call it Irish. It's the Irish language. And that is officially the first language of the country. And in fact, if there is an issue with constitutional law and there's a question, what does this word in the constitution mean? It's actually the Irish version that takes primacy. And that's actually become important in a few court cases. So there is a line in the Constitution that talks about the responsibility of a state towards using the Irish word lanav, which is roughly translated as child, but that's incorrect, culturally speaking. The the word doesn't imply infancy. It implies offspring. And therefore, there was a case... Well, the case is when you have someone who goes over 18 but is Uh. mentally disabled and is still in need of state help, the state would cut them off. And someone made a constitutional claim saying, no, you you owe these people care, not only while they're under 18, because the Constitution doesn't use the word child in the English sense. It uses the word child in the land of. So it's offspring, not child. Wow,
1: that's fascinating. So... There is, is the administration operating in Irish? I'll try to be correct then. Oh, God, no. no. So So everyone
0: speaks English. Okay, okay, yes and no, right. So officially the first language is Irish. So there are people paid an absolute fortune to translate all of government business into Irish. But if you watch the television, it is all done through English. What might happen is a politician who happens to be a particularly Republican politician will open his speech with two or three words of Irish, maybe a sentence or two, and then Flick over into English. The entire country does its business through English, pretty much. The, there's a few regions, they're quite small, called the Gaeltacht, where they are officially, everything there is done through Irish, and you get massive tax breaks if you go live there, and there's all sorts of rules that you absolutely have to use Irish. But, so the official first language is Irish, which is why Irish road signs will have the Irish first and then the English. Now the Irish is in italics and quite light font, and the English is in a big bold font. So the English looks more important. That's probably a good thing, or everyone would be lost permanently. But the Irish is first. There's an actual law called the Irish Language Primacy Act, which states that every public body must deliver their services through Irish. So every post uh, like has as real- an option. As an option, so if you phone up an Irish public service and you say, us a talk to, they have to be able to answer you back in Irish, or at right. the very least, transfer your call to someone who can help you through Irish.
1: That's funny. It's so similar to the situation in Finland, where uh, there's a 5%, uh, about 5% of the population, which is Swedish speaking, and the official languages of the country are Finnish and Swedish. And uh, oh, my right. wife is, is a Swedophone? Swid- is is a Swedish speaker. That's that's an interesting word, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And and so it's funny because she's completely lost. I mean, she literally learned Finnish at school. She didn't speak Finnish at home and she learned it and she still doesn't speak it as well as Swedish, of course. But even as English, like her her Finnish is not poor, but you can definitely tell that she's not a a native Finnish speaker when she speaks Finnish, which is... Is for me, who comes from a country where there's only one language that everyone speaks, super weird. Um, and like, for example, our our child will be taught French by me, Swedish by her, and not Finnish. Finnish will be a school thing. So yeah. it's like, so I wonder how many, um, how many, uh, what percentage of the population even speaks uh,
0: Irish as okay, so one of com- their languages? It's compulsory in school. Okay. Every so school. we all learn it. But the thing is, it's the way most Irish people would describe it is that Irish was beaten into them mm. and it is resented. Wow. Which so is, then, I think, terrible because it's a, it, I mean, the culture, there's so much culture and history there. It would be wonderful if there was a broad love of the language. But there's some serious historical baggage because under English rule, speaking Irish was basically or not speaking English, rather, it was basically the route to poverty and destitution. Mm. And so Irish developed some really negative connotations, where basically it was the language of the poor and the downtrodden. And if it hadn't been for cultural revival in sort of the late eight, late 1800s, early 1900s, the language may well have died out. But there's a, there was a very, very active effort. As part of Ireland sort of trying to, to become independent, it was... Yes, there was a political movement to to break away from England and become a free state. But there was also a cultural movement which was going much, much, much more strongly to prevent the Irish identity from being subsumed into the British Empire. Mm. And a very, an extremely strong part of that is something called the Gaelic Athletic Association, the GAA. And they they are they're the official body for Ireland's national sports or traditional sports which are Gaelic football which is a variant of football that does not exist elsewhere the closest is Australian rules which is a, a bastardized version of it from Irish people who moved to Australia um so it's the ball is smaller you're you're allowed to use your hands in certain situations it's some contact is allowed then there's another sport called hurling which involves a very small ball and a very big stick um, and many injuries, um, but a very <laughs> dramatic game to watch. And so the, the, the GAA, and also then literary-wise, literary there's a very strong Irish culture as well. So people like WB Yeats and stuff would have been involved in trying to define an Irish cultural identity. And so uh, a lot of those writers you would have heard of would, would have been strongly Irish in that way.
1: So let me ask you this. Um, the... Irish language being so important in administrative terms, since you know the constitution, you have to be able to. Officially important, right? In in terms of actual
0: day to day use, utterly irrelevant, but officially important, and therefore everything is translated.
1: I understand. But if there's an issue, you need to understand the Irish meaning, which means you Hmm. need Irish scholars and probably lawyers who do speak the language really well. I wonder, uh, I want to ask you about the relationship to uh, the UK in a minute, but I wonder, <laughs> do do people, regular people, think, you know, yeah, Irish is annoying and, you know, we were forced to learn it and blah, 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 but if you talk about... The Constitution. Will people say, "Well, yeah, of course, we need to have the Constitution in Irish," and then all of a sudden, there's a swell of national pride and, like, yes, this oh, is yeah, our absolutely. identity,
0: right? So the, 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 the chest will come out; they'll puff themselves up and say, "No, no, no, Irish is Irish is really important. It's our, it's our national language. Do you speak it? No." <laughs> <laughs> all right, <laughs> but they they
1: won't, and not, and, and no one will suggest. I, I mean, some might, some. Oh it will be suggested. No one will suggest. Getting rid of Irish for the oh, yes. constitution, for example.
0: Oh, uh, probably. Okay, that's probably going too far. But there are, right. uh, certainly one of my one of my first most memorable engagements in sort of being slightly politically active in Ireland was in my students' union days when I took part in a debate on whether or not the state should stop f- imposing Irish, stop making Irish compulsory in schools. And I delivered the argument that to save the language, Ireland needed to stop making it compulsory in schools. Oh, interesting.
1: Um yeah. so okay, what's your relationship with uh should I say big brother to the to the east? Or? In, yeah,
0: I mean it's the elephant in the room permanently because yeah. Ireland's relationship like Facebook status wise, it's complicated, doesn't even begin to cut it. <laughs> So there's some the, the practical stuff is easy. When was independence? Sorry, I, I need... You know. Oh, when was independence? Even that is not clean cut. So a, a very, very quick potted history. Mm-hmm. In 1916, a bunch of Irish, very, very romantic Irish patriots got themselves blown to bits in the streets of Dublin and got most of the city destroyed in what's called the Easter Rising. It was militarily a complete failure. Politically, it had almost no support... And then the English literally snatched defeat from the jaws of victory by executing them. And mm. all of a sudden, Ireland had well, They martyrs. made
1: martyrs out of them, yeah.
0: They made martyrs out of them, and then they compounded it by having a ruthless roundup, followed by internment, and basically thousands of people being imprisoned in England with no, little or no evidence against them, just roundups. And that really, really, really changed things. Because before that, the Irish often held high positions within the British Empire's institutions. They would have been high up in the civil service. They would have been, you know, in India running things and stuff like that. I mean, they were they were uh, taking part in the empire. It was, there was a lot of condemnation of the Easter Rising right then at that moment. And then by a month after the rising, complete change, 180 degree flip. And what's worse is this happened during World War I, remember, 1916. Mm. So you had Irish people fighting in the British army, dying in the trenches, who left as heroes because what England had said was that after the war, Ireland will get home rule. So that is remain within the British Empire, but have a local parliament like Scotland does now. And so the idea was we'll go fight for England, go fight for the British in World War One. And when we come back, we'll have our own self-governance. And then 1916 happened and everything changed. And those people came back, and they went from being heroes to being the absolute villain of the piece because they were now seen as being collaborators with the evil English. Oh, and I, the, they the are people the people who I went feel. to fight in the trenches. Yeah. Oh my yes, God, that's It horrible. is horrific. It took until the last decade for that wrong to be righted, and for those people to be to get proper government recognition as being heroes, and for their treason convictions to be overturned. Yeah, I mean it was such a big deal. Uh, the other thing that came out of that problem, that situation, is Northern Ireland came out of that. So the Irish people wanted home rule, and the British government gave them home rule. And the Ulster Scots, or sorry, the Ulster people in general, were very, the, the West, very, sorry? very, very, very against Ulster. Uh, sorry, uh, the northern part of Ireland is is called Ulster for very long-running historical reasons. So if you go back to the pre-Middle Ages, Ireland had four, Ireland was four nations loosely held together and one of them was Ulster. So the four provinces are called. And Ulster roughly coincides with Northern Ireland now, not exactly. And that's where most of the Presbyterian and Protestant uh, Unionists, as we now call them, live. And they were completely against rule from Dublin because Dublin was seen as Catholic, popish. And they basically were the first to develop an armed civilian militia and effectively start the terrorism cycle that continued until the 90s. And they were the reason that home rule never quite became a reality. And that struggle was ongoing and then World War I broke out and then it all went to hell in a handbasket when the Easter Rising happened. And Ireland came so, so close to a peaceful departure from direct British rule and it just didn't quite hold together. And then you had an Irish civil war. So that's the next phase. So the nineteen twenties let me, let me interrupt
1: thing. you for, for just a second. Um you mentioned terrorism, which I'm sure we're gonna get mm. back to, but just oh, as yeah. a quick aside, um given the context of Irish uh, you know, is it IRA in English? I never know which one. Well,
0: the IRA certainly are a major part of that terrorism right. story. And the, 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 so, yes, the Irish Republican Army, IRA. So,
1: so a quick aside, what,
0: how do you look
1: at terrorism, like Islamic terrorism, um, given the history that your country has with terrorism? Is it any different from maybe what you perceive from other countries or is it just, you know... Oh,
0: it, it's really... Com- it, it, there is, it's very hard to have a typical Irish attitude to these things because what you will find is it's not such an easy... So the modern jihadist style of Islamic terrorism is universally reviled and detested and feared in equal measure. But there is other Islamic terrorism in forms of... I would expect the about the,
1: the motivations rather than the actual perpetration of the, the act.
0: The, the concept of of suicide attacks and stuff does not compute. So that I think that's very much the same attitude as the rest of the Western world. Where things go a little bit more complicated is there's not a sort of as clean a line drawn. All, all Muslim terrorists are not painted with the same brush because Ireland has a very strong history with people like the PLO and a history of supporting the PLO against Israel. Mm. Okay.
1: All right, we, we might come back to this. I'm not sure because it's a little bit outside the scope. But um, all right, keep going with the Northern
0: yeah. Ireland. and yeah. yeah, so, I mean, it, it, the origins of it all is a long time ago. So 1916, you have the rising. It's snatched jo- defeat from the Joseph victory. Irish home rule vanishes into the ether. And now you're left in a situation where the only way Ireland is going to get anywhere is to fight for it. And the Irish do, under the leadership of Michael Collins, who leads a guerrilla campaign of terrorism. Let's, let's be let's be frank about it. It was terrorism. It was a guerrilla campaign where they went around murdering British officials in their sleep and in ambushes and blowing up public buildings. it was it was terrorism. And at that time it was also called the IRA, but that's a different IRA to the one that re-emerges later. And a lot of our history was lost when one of the main administrative buildings, the Customs House, was, was badly attacked and many records got burned. So a lot of people's genealogy meets a horrible black hole around this time because the records were destroyed. And after, eventually, after much terrorism, well, after a few years of terrorism, a treaty was signed with the English. Basically, a compromise was reached. Negotiations were had in London. Michael Collins negotiated on behalf of Ireland and they arranged for the Irish Free State And this is the point in time where someone drew a line on a map and schismed off Northern Ireland. And the offer on the table was that you could not have the whole of Ireland break away, but you would be allowed to have most of Ireland break away, become a free state within the British Empire. So the King of England would remain the sovereign of Ireland, but Ireland would get its own parliament, its own constitution and basically become like Australia. So very free, but nonetheless, with the head of state still being the British monarch. And because the Ireland was partitioned, it schismed the entire population of Ireland down the middle, schismed families from each other, and resulted in the Irish Civil War. And brother fought brother. This was a vicious, vicious civil war. But why why would they fight each
1: other at that point? Because... Everything's dandy. You have a free state. No, you you don't. It's
0: schismed. You have the Ireland is partitioned. And there was a pseudo-religious objection to the concept of partition. Mm. Ireland cannot be... It's almost... Ireland appears as a character in a lot of literature and stuff in Ireland. The spirit of Ireland, era, erin, is almost like a person. And the notion of cleaving era in pieces it was like a religious affront. It cut really, really deep. And so you would have one brother who was like, look, you know, with the argument for pro-treaty was this is the first step towards full independence and we should take it. This is so much better than what we have now. Yes, this isn't everything we want. Yes, this is not yet a republic. Yes, we still have the British monarch. Yes, we'll still have to swear allegiance to the British crown. But we're going to have massive amounts of self-government. This is so much better than what we have now. And then you had the much more romantic we're like, no, 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 we keep fighting for what we want. We want a free, independent republic for the whole island of Ireland. And it was, it was a complete schism where you had families splitting down the middle and the IRA then became an organisation which fought against the treaty and the pro-treaty forces, the official Irish government, were pro-treaty. They won elections and then it really all kicked off because once the, elect- once the ballot box had spoken and the anti-treaty side lost, they resorted to violence. Hmm. And the violence came to an end when Michael Collins was murdered. And strangely enough, the leader, Eamon de Valera, eventually became president of Ireland. But of the split partitioned Ireland. It's very strange. But that division exists to this day. We have two political parties who have the same policies on almost everything, who are both centre-right Christian Democrats. And the only difference between them is that one of them was pro-treaty in 1920s and one of them was anti-treaty in 1920s.
1: Okay. Um, all right. So what's the relationship today, I guess I have to ask a question, with Northern Ireland and with the, with the UK so,
0: today? So culturally speaking, the UK and Ireland get on very well. If you ask an Irish person who's your favourite football team, the answer will be an English team. As far as Irish people are concerned, the league in football is the, the premiership, the British premiership. In terms of television, in terms of all of the culture, Ireland is extremely British, extremely British. But in terms of politics, there is still a strong reactionary anti-British feeling. So our entire court system is English common law that we have basically when we set up our when we became independent, we just basically had all the laws that exist now continue to exist, and we made a few tweaks. So we still have a British system of common law. Our infrastructure, our railways, are all still British. So in many, many ways, Ireland is extremely British. But if you say that to some people, it, it <laughs> oh goodness me! So it's an extremely schizophrenic relationship. Mm. And politically speaking, for decades, Britain refused to accept the fact that Ireland was in, had had declared its independence, and so there was there was no const, there was no diplomatic relationship. Mm. And so the first time a British monarch set foot in the Republic of Ireland was, I think, it was two thousand and twelve or something ish. Oh wow. Basically it was during the reign of President Obama because the Queen visited our reign
1: of President Obama? I, I like how we Oh it's put the wrong that. word actually, yeah.
0: <laughs> the reign of Queen Elizabeth II, but she's been reigning for so long that means extremely little. But no, the same year we had President Obama and the Queen visit. But the Queen's visit was probably the most amazing thing because that was so full of symbolism. She came here She went to the memorial to all of the Irish Republicans who died fighting the British and laid a wreath. And she didn't make a speech. She just came. She laid a wreath and she bowed. And it was so dignified and so understated that the country melted. When she did that, the country melted. And then the next day... the Queen
1: doesn't bow very often.
0: No, exactly. Yeah. And then the next day, our president went with the Queen to a newly refurbished memorial to all of the Irish people who died in the British army in World War One, and closed that circle when our president laid a wreath with the Queen to those people, those Irish, brave Irish people who died in the trenches in World War I. And that finally brought closure to that horrible issue. And so she gave the- a speech in Dublin Castle and she opened her speech in the Irish language. Wow. And there was an audible... Wow, picked up from the mic that should have been off of our president. And it was so such a genuine she Queen Elizabeth came here and charmed the pants off the Irish. Mm. I mean, it was amazing.
1: I think it 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 kind of um shows the imp- it's pretty I, we have dozens of histories of things like that in in history, but it shows the importance of of symbols and it's- it's it can absolutely change the way a leader acts can change uh can have actual effect on yes. a, a population and on populations in general it feels like the relationship you have now is kind of the same one we have i mean the french have with um germans it's kind of like yes there's a very very difficult history there but mostly mm. we're we're friends and you know but you can you'll yep. always have someone who goes like um, ah, the Germans, and go like schnell, and make some bad taste yes, yes. Uh, World yes, War exactly, II joke, yeah. but we're all very good friends, and we all have like friends from the different countries.
0: Actually, there's another um, really good similarity there, because mm. Ireland has an extremely strong trading relationship with England. Of course. With yeah. Britain as a whole. Extremely strong, which is why Brexit is such a catastrophe for Ireland. Wow. We we really should cover
1: that one as well. Um, and again, how how it relates. So, just to be clear mm-hmm. northern ireland yeah, is we need to talk part that. of the uk and not part of ireland administratively
0: the, it's complicated okay. <laughs> Damn it. and
1: and i no, do no, want no, to no, move no, on yes, to non administrative top topics but uh, well, if you give so me f- let's cover that very
0: quickly 5 minutes i can I, I i'll do my best to explain it in plain english um so northern ireland was run up until the 70s, by a Protestant elite who gerrymandered the place to, to hell in a hand cart and basically oppressed the Catholic minority. This made the Catholic minority extremely angry. They held uh, what they what were called civil rights protests and the British army shot them. And that triggered, that was Bloody Sunday, and that triggered the IRA cycle of violence that then went on for three decades. And that is that was what That was the flashpoint that set off that terrorism. That continued for decades with horrible, horrible atrocities on both sides. And eventually the Good Friday Agreement was negotiated. And that effectively creates two things. It created a bunch of cross-border all-island institutions. So we cooperate with the North on a whole bunch of things. So... Our National Canal Network, which is now really a tourist industry rather than anything practical, is run on an all-Ireland basis. We have a whole bunch of these all-Ireland bodies. So that's why there's a little bit of joint sovereignty. The Republic of Ireland used to have in its constitution a claim on the whole island. We held a referendum to renounce our claim on Northern Ireland. And Northern Ireland held a referendum to update their rules so that if there is ever a referendum like happened in Catalonia, if that happens in Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland will leave the UK. So they, the right to have that referendum is now enshrined. It has never been called and probably won't be for a long time, but the right to that self-determination is enshrined. So if we do have a referendum, we're not going to end up like Catalonia are at the moment. We, we have that right in Northern Ireland. Or, sorry, the Northern so, Irish have that right.
1: Right. It's interesting that you say we have that right in Northern Ireland. You, you, yeah, I know, you consider I border, Northern Ireland right? part of Ireland.
0: But it is and it isn't. So every Northern Irish citizen, regardless of their political outlook, has the right to an Irish passport and the right to be an Irish citizen if they want to be an Irish citizen. And everyone in Northern Ireland has the right to a British passport and the right to be a British citizen. And they have the right to hold both. So post-Brexit, an awful lot of Northern Irish staunch (laughs) unionists are getting Irish passports because the dual nationality allows them to be both in and out of Europe at the same time. That is an amazing position to be in. Yeah, so every Northern Irish person gets to choose to be a citizen of both countries if they want to.
1: Mm. Okay. Uh, I mean, yes, there would be a lot more to discuss there. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) But let's i I really want to talk about more social context sure. dynamics issues, and one of the things again, my ignorant self goes to my mind goes to is uh you know uh, Catholics and yes. impoverished people uh, uh, yes you know in in the the entire country with with run down towns and you know all of that imagery um and and I guess we can quickly get the other image, which is taking advantage of the European Union's rules and actually developing a, a very rich, at least portion of the country with tech. But, uh, but uh, first, no, let's think, about, yeah. first, let's the talk about first let's talk about yeah the Catholic slash. For me, for some reason, they go hand in hand. Catholic Catholic the, yeah, impover- impoverished
0: for a lot of the history of the, the, the of Ireland post English rule. That is a very, very accurate statement. So, the initial Irish Revolution in 1916, which, as I say, didn't actually achieve anything at the moment, apart from creating martyrs, which eventually led to the full Irish freedom, that initial revolution was extremely progressive. Uh, we had strong female leaders. The Irish Constitution was that they proclaimed was about you know freedom, basically the, the state should endow no religion. It was not a Catholic movement, really. It was a humanist movement much more. And so Countess Markievicz is considered one of the heroes of the revolution and Countess, she was female and she had a military uniform on and she was leading troops. Like she, it, it, it was, it was a revolution for all Irish people. It was not just Irish men, it was for everyone. And unfortunately, what came, the actual Irish Free State that came out of the Irish Civil War was not that at all what came out of the Irish Civil War was a free country, apart from Northern Ireland, which was still part of the UK, that was extremely patriarchal and where women's place was in the home and all of the institutions of government were set up in that way. If you worked for the Irish government and you got married, you automatically lost your job. You were fired. The act of getting married ended your employment. You were to go home and raise those kids. (laughs) And the church and the government... It was never officially a theocracy. There was, it was toyed with. The idea was toyed with to actually put the primacy of the Catholic faith into the Constitution. But it was decided against it. And so they did it indeed instead of... So it was de jure instead of de facto. Or de facto instead of de jure, sorry. Yeah. So officially... No, 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 no. There is no Irish state religion. In practice, it was Catholicism, and the bishops were telling the ministers what to do. The bishops were deciding what books should be banned, what movies should be banned, what censorship should be imposed, and the church were given a free run to do all sorts of things. So the church put uh, up in you mentioned censorship. Like yeah,
1: you mentioned censorship. It, was it really bad, and how long yes. did it last?
0: Uh, the life of Brian was banned in Ireland. Really? Well, I guess, yeah. yeah, Now, because radio waves don't respect the border, we just watch it on British broadcasters. We watch it on Channel 4. For younger listeners,
1: uh, The Life of Brian is a Monty Python movie that uh, tells kind of the life of a guy in parallel of Christ.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's not Jesus because Jesus features in The Life of Brian. He's born in the stable next door. But nonetheless... There are, you know, it, it's clearly, uh, that was it's in the clearly commentary. It was Yeah. And that was banned. And that was banned until the late 90s. I watched it the first time it was broadcast on Irish television. And then the song from that movie, when they're all nailed up on the cross, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, that became an Irish number one hit for weeks and weeks and weeks. But they beeped out the, the word S-H-I-T. When life's a piece of beep. Right. Okay. You can say um, it on this show; it's fine. Okay, so well, life's a piece of shit when you look at it. I mean, it's a lovely rhyme; it's it's, <laughs> it's a wonderful line. But that was beeped. Okay, so that gave you some idea, and that was when that was in the nineties. So yeah, there was a lot of censorship, and there was also a lot of rebellion against it. You had there was an author who went by the pen name Flan O'Brien, who remained anonymous until after his death, but he was actually an Irish civil servant. And he rebelled by writing whatever he wanted to write. And, you know, a lot of stuff was in the underground and so forth. But it was a real, real issue. Um, If you didn't think that the woman's place is in the home and so forth, society was really out to get you. Single mothers in Ireland had a really bloody hard time of it. And the worst of it was that the Catholic Church were allowed to create institutions like schools, orphanages, and the absolute worst kind were homes where single mothers would be hidden in, And horribly abused until they had their babies and then sent home and everyone pretended it never happened. And did they keep their babies? No, they were forcibly removed and sent for adoption to America. So basically Americans would come in and pay the church for a baby. Lovely. Um, And all of this was done with, at the very, very, very least, the government choosing to turn a blind eye. At the very, very, very least. Mm. But in reality, many, many ministers were very actively supporting this because it basically meant that the government could offload their social problems to the Catholic Church, who would lock these kids up in these horrific institutions. And that is the source of these spectacular scandals that utterly destroyed the Catholic Church's hold over Ireland.
1: Yeah, you you mentioned this in a previous episode of the show a while back, um, and maybe we, we we should dive into it uh, as well. But um, so I do want to ask: you mentioned censorship, and you know, until the nineties, mm-hmm. it was still. But was like the life of Brian being banned, for example, a holdover from the seventies that really wasn't doesn't uh, um, illustrate the context of the country in the nineties, or was it still? Were there things getting banned in the 90s? Oh, there uh, were
0: things getting banned all the time. Movies with scenes cut out. If you were to watch the movie in RTE, you would be missing any scene that had even the vague. Okay, there was a scandal, and I mean a scandal in the nation in the 80s, when Ireland's most famous soap opera, it's called Row, showed a married couple in bed together having a chat. (laughs) There was no flesh visible but they were in the marital bed and that was shown on television and that was considered a scandal. Glen Rowe were earth-shatteringly brave to show that scene. Okay, um, so I
1: guess things changed with the uh, Catholic Church scandals you mentioned in a, in a, oh, in a yeah. previous show. We could go over them, but before we do, uh, how does this relate to the poverty, if at all?
0: I I don't think Ireland has a particularly i mean there is poverty in ireland because there is poverty in every country but ireland isn't isn't a particularly unequal country as western countries go okay now, maybe so i'm that comparing is to a, america which i shouldn't do yeah but, so, okay, but that so, is a
1: that is a, an an image i have which is inaccurate some of them. Well, have okay, been, it I depends. So,
0: what time scale are you talking? Are you talking about the last few decades or are you talking about the first half of the 1900s? Because no, they're very, very about,
1: different stories. I'm talking about the um, late last few decades where economically, um, in my you know imagination, I guess, the mm-hmm. the country was struggling and maybe comparing it to or maybe even confusing it with uh some uh, uh regions of England and the UK where you know the um the the country was running or the local uh, towns yeah. and such I'm were curious. running on um on, on factories or mines or whatever you know these kinds of things and then things they were poor already and Things collapsed, and things didn't go well, and there was a significant lower um you know income per capita than there would be in the rest of western
0: europe that
1: is okay, in, so an inaccurate
0: uh, it, it not completely but not not to, not to the same extent as as, as the u k so mm-hmm. i guess the early Irish state was extremely insular, extremely inward-looking, protectionist in its outlook. And that resulted in a country that was poor. The entire nation was poor. It was poor as a country, and there was a lot of poverty throughout the country. Okay, so that's and, not completely inaccurate then. No, no, that that is certainly true. But that is many decades ago we're talking. So that is 50s, 60s. Okay, so and not then an 80s. active decision was made. Yeah, an active decision was made, which took time, right? It, it wasn't like we flicked a switch and everything changed. But there was a 180 degree policy shift, which leads us towards the current tax stuff, where basically the government just decided, no, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to have an extremely open economy. We are going to have extremely competitive tax rates. We are going to set up state bodies whose sole responsibility is to attract foreign direct investment, something called the IDA, the Irish Development Association, I think is the A, who went around the world and actively courted businesses, made deals with them, brought them into Ireland. And that is what gives you the Celtic tiger. That is what, over the decades, built up to Ireland becoming a booming economy. When was that decision made?
1: Do you know roughly? That
0: decision would have been, I would, it was before I was born, so you're talking 70s, 80s, but it was slow. It, it, it was a, a mindset that took a long time. The closed mindset didn't vanish overnight. It wasn't a eureka moment. It was a slow, as older politicians fell away and they were replaced by younger politicians, the mindset shifted. The mindset of the civil service shifted very dramatically. And so it took time to build up steam. And a big part of it was joining Europe in the late 70s. So joining the, Europe, the EEC, no, the EEC as it was then, the European Economic Community. And Ireland is an example where European support was, to, it had grip, it had leverage, it actually achieved things. So the European Development Fund created the infrastructure that allowed Ireland to turn itself around economically, to become a nation you associate with high tech. I mean, that was that was just so ridiculous to think about that in the sixties or seventies. Ireland and high tech—that was like a, that would be a preposterous thing to say. <laughs> Ireland was a place of poor farmers yeah, that was exactly. insular and backward-looking, and so, now Ireland is a hub of banking and tech. So, and to me, that, that I,
1: because I know tech, I associated with you know the the tech giants in France we call them the gafam which is google apple facebook amazon and, yeah. and
0: microsoft and they're so all we logos have an they i see for them. i see on buildings around the greater dublin area yeah, i live in exactly. a place that's called um ireland silicon valley it's in the along the, the the river liffey and sort of leekslow and that sort of area we have well, we had HP there closing down, unfortunately, but we have Intel here, Dublin City mm. Centre. You're going to see Microsoft, or, well, you're not going to see Oracle anymore. Sorry, you are going to see Oracle. You're not going to see Sun microsystems. Yeah. Um, well, they, mean, all they're those all there, there. Um,
1: yes, because absolutely. of the tax breaks, obviously, but they're, they're, they are a symptom. No, it's not say, only okay. the
0: tax breaks. Let, let's set that one straight, okay. too. But the other thing, so Ireland invested in its infrastructure, and a major part of that infrastructure is education. Ireland has a workforce which is extremely well educated and is extremely effective. So we don't work as long of hours as Americans, but we are more productive than Americans. So if you ask a company like Intel, who have factories all over the world, the Irish workers do not work the longest hours, but they are extremely efficient workers
1: that that's a misconception about France as well um, a lot of people think that french people are lazy because of all you know the the striking and the demonstration and all of that but um the the efficiency i guess uh, the productivity mm-hmm. of french people is pretty high it's not enormously high uh it's not the highest in the world but it's also uh high so even if you work less you're you're going to be a uh, you know efficient um but so, education and and I want to go back to that. But that part of it came in the, um, I mean, the tech part of it came in the 2000s. Um, no, it would have been before earlier. That. Okay, it would have been so, earlier.
0: So Intel has been in Ireland, I think, since the 80s. Okay, so, so it, it, it started before.
1: You're, yeah, big. You're, you're talking about the productivity, what and education, and I cut you off. What other factors would you attribute this to, which I don't see?
0: I think the education is a huge one. So the ability mm. to come here as a high tech company and hire people at a reasonable rate. I mean, our our cost of living is, is is not low and we have our labor protection and stuff is much, much, much stronger than you will have in America. It's not up to French levels. I think if you imagine America and France as the two outliers in terms of, you know, the balance of workers' rights and sort of this culture of working working to live instead of living to work. Or, you know
1: what I mean? There would be stuff to say there. Yeah, there would Uh, be stuff to say there, even for France, which I'm discovering is not, you know, there are some (laughs) peculiar things there as well. But yeah, okay, let's take that as a base.
0: Yeah, so imagine Ireland as being in the middle. Ireland is, in many ways, a mid Atlantic sort of place.
1: Let's take an example just to illustrate this. Um, If you lose your job, how much unemployment benefits do you get for how long?
0: It depends on how long you had that job. Okay. so there Let's is say you there had are it for st- a
1: long time, like the maximum amount.
0: It's basically, for every every so many years you work, they have to pay you so many months of full wages. I don't have the exact numbers, but if it's a voluntary redundancy, the chances are you will have a few years' worth of income, at least a year or two's worth of income as you leave the door. If the company goes bankrupt, you'll have less. But if you've been working there for a long time, you're going to have a few months' worth of income as a bulk as a bulk, so most probably. And then you're going to get to go on to the the first level of unemployment benefit here is called job seekers allowance. It is not means tested. So when you lose your job, you get six months of unmeans tested government benefit. And then after those six months By means out,
1: tested, you mean they test the means by which you're looking for a new job or?
0: No, as in your other income doesn't matter, so means testing oh, your means. that's financially that okay
1: your means, okay,
0: okay, yeah, so it's not means tested. It is automatic for the first six months. and after the first six months, it becomes means tested, which means that if you have income from stocks and shares or whatever, if you're basically financially well off, even though you're unemployed, it will cease. But if you are not if you know if you lost your job and you have lost all of your income, you will continue to receive. Benefit, so it, it switches from being job seekers' allowance to job seekers' benefit, and you can receive that indefinitely, but they do wait they what re- require you in, indefinitely you will receive benefit indefinitely if you have no income
1: that is like but but it it's a lower
0: amount right it's a lower amount it's not good living right it's not it don't imagine you're living on the pig's back it like it, it's not a lot of money. And you will have to continue to provide proof that you're seeking a job. So you will continue to have to say every few months you'll be called in for uh, face to face where you will have to show rejection letters.
1: Mm. So in France, for comparison and context, um, we get two years' worth of unemployment benefits, which amount to about 75% of your uh, before-tax income, so about 50% of after... uh, I'm sorry, 50% of before-tax income, which is probably about 75% of after-tax income. And that's about two years, and uh, it is also uh, not means-tested, I would say, for the beginning. That I'm a little Mm -hmm. bit fuzzy on. But... um. But yeah, but then after two years, it will stop and you will have to get on if you want to on something different, which would be like the basic wage living help, uh, which would be about five to six hundred euros a month, which obviously is not going to allow you to do much unless you live in a very, you know, unexpensive countryside part of the country. And even then, it's not easy. Um, but yeah, the unemployment is about two years, so I'm not sure you're so in the middle uh, between the U.S. and France. It seems to me you're much closer to France. But um. well, in
0: Ireland, socialism isn't considered a bad word. We have had centre-right politicians stand up in our in the lower chamber of our House of Parliament and proudly declare themselves socialists now they got laughed at because they were actually for by irish standards a very right wing government but by american standards they were loony lefties i think but by our standards they were considered right-wing, right wing so they were laughed at but it was considered something that they should aspire to yeah we might be a right wing party but no we're still socialists mm. so
1: education um social policies uh, I guess healthcare could enter into that as well. I'm curious about uh, women's rights, which you talked about a little bit. Yes, surely that doesn't help for sure. the economic development when, in you know, when it's done the way you were talking about it before. Right, has that and changed? it
0: isn't anymore. That changed dramatically with you know public brow burnings, and the, the, that was a big deal when I was growing up. That was that was a big deal. Um, So my mother-in-law would have been a civil servant who successfully fought to keep her job when she married. So she would have gone through the court system to fight for that right. And she progressed in the civil service to an extremely high level and was basically smashing her head through glass ceilings for her entire career. Mm. And ended up being one of the very highest officials for a female minister for enterprise trade and commerce, I believe. Mm. So... That really changed. So to give an example, one of the big, quote unquote, political battles that, were, that, I, that I watched was in my school. We were in a mixed school and girls wanted a right to wear trousers. And it was my classmates who fought for that and won. Yeah. And so the whole time I was growing up, you had all of these antiquated notions being challenged and being smashed. So we have, we don't have. I would say we don't have nearly enough because there should be half of our ministers should be female and half of our parliament should be female. It should be represented. Sorry again, I'm I'm going to interrupt.
1: I'm going to interrupt again. I do that a lot, but I think it's Mm. it's for specific questions. I don't want to move on too long before I can ask them. How does again the if at all if the the uh, Irish people look at the. I don't even want to call it the controversy because it was whipped Mm -hmm. up from almost nothing. But that kneeling thing um, in the U.S., uh, you know, the the NFL, where people, some people (laughs) feel it disrespects the flag and some people feel it's like a a, a way of expressing um, your concern about things that is nonviolent. And, you know, if you can't do that, then.
0: I think the feeling is Donald Trump is trying to distract people from everything else that's wrong. That's how it's viewed here. Okay. Fair enough. it's it's just it's just laughable it's considered absolutely preposterous okay um to to sort of to get back to the to, to the sort of the, the issue of female so do remember that for much of my life the president of Ireland has been female we had mary robinson who was our first female president who went on to take a very high role in the un she was commissioner for human rights um Uh, followed by two terms for Mary McAleese, who was a Northern Irish female president of the Republic of Ireland, because everyone in Northern Ireland has the right to Irish citizenship. So she was from Belfast in Northern Ireland, technically part of the United Kingdom, but she was president of Ireland for 14 years. (laughs) And she hosted the Queen. She was our president when the Queen came to visit. So when the Queen visited Ireland, our head of state was female and their head of state was female. I mean, I won't say we're in a perfect situation. We still have the same problem we have everywhere. It is illegal to discriminate based on gender. And yet, when you look at the average lifetime income of a woman versus the average lifetime income of a man, there's still a discrepancy there. So we have the same problems many other countries have where it's not overt sexism. It's some sort of cultural issue where there's an assumption that women will not progress as far. I don't know what it is exactly. I wish I could put my finger on well,
1: it. We'll have a discussion with a few women about this at some point in the future. So so we'll cover that, I'm sure. Um, yeah. but I don't think we're particularly qualified. Really. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, um, but so maybe people haven't listened to that episode where you described what happened with the Catholic Church um, yeah. scandals. So maybe go over this very recently and sure. then we can talk about uh, other things.
0: So for years... Because of this close relationship between the church and state, any allegations of wrongdoing were covered up. And so you had a culture of cover up. You had a culture where rule one, protect the church and the state. Rule two, consider maybe protecting the kids. So you had abuses of, they fell into a few categories. So one of the abuses was physical abuse. You basically had kids being beaten to death sometimes sometimes. In these ridiculously draconian, particularly the, the church-run centres for uh, child criminals, who may whose crime may have been something ridiculously small and silly that really, really didn't want them being locked up. Also, unfortunately, in orphanages in state-run or in church-run schools, and you had amazing abuse of like amazing and all the wrong, like just heartbreaking abuses of single mothers in the so-called Magdalene laundries, where they had their children taken away. And it was just covered up, covered up, covered up, covered up. And about 20 years ago, the dam burst. And so you had the church doing things like moving... So mid to end 90s. Yeah, mid to end, yeah. Yeah, exactly then, actually. So yeah, as I was leaving secondary school, so exactly then. And you had the church doing things like moving known paedophiles around on the flawed theory that it will take them time to groom new victims. So if we just move them around often enough, it'll be grand. Right? I, I mean, it was nuts. And so you, you had a few brave people coming out and making allegations. And the initial response was, how dare you attack our beloved church? And as those brave first few people made their made their cases to the police, the police investigated and priests started to be arrested and incarcerated so and as uh, the testimonies came out and the heart-wrenching stories came out the dam burst what made you know i think
1: we've we've had these stories everywhere and i think the catholic church is has started in most places to finally do something about these but mm-hmm. i'm not sure you know we had stories forever and, again, uh, not to make a comparison that we can't really mm-hmm. comment on too, too too much because of who we are, but there are stories about uh, uh, sexual assault on, on women, and there have been for a mm-hmm. long time, and we're not at the point, not quite at the point where things are actually bursting um, mm. in the world. Well, but, with the Harvey Weinstein so, thing,
0: we're starting to see that, right? Yeah,
1: I, I think that, that could, well, uh, the future will tell, but it could be a breaking point, at least one of them for sure. But so... I guess what happened for the Catholic Church in Ireland that made it into such a big scandal that, as you mentioned, it it broke the hold, the incredibly strong hold that the Catholic Church had on the country, and why did people who I'm guessing were very much Catholics and believers and, you know, trusted mm-hmm. the Church, what made them essentially renounce their lifelong... Um, beliefs you know Ah, it's not it's not something okay they haven't renounced their beliefs
0: right so what you have is people who feel their love of i mean i'm not really just myself so uh, apologies if this doesn't sound the right tone but their love of jesus is unchanged they still see themselves as catholic they see the bishops as illegitimate evil not to be trusted so the church hierarchy is broken but jesus is good. but i think
1: yeah no i think it's the it's similar to and i'm not going to talk about the us for once uh mm-hmm. what we see in politics in many countries when a, 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 a party is either you know defeated or seen as inefficient or uh you know even corrupt sometimes mm-hmm. some people can still hold the ideal of the party uh, as something to be, uh, uh, you know, sought after. Sure. But I think that's the right reaction. And in the context of the Catholic Church, I think the right reaction would be, well, you know, Jesus awesome, and he's a pretty good dude in, in my book. I think he preaches for, you know, he advocates for some... <laughs> um,
0: they do unto others incredible... as you would have others yeah. do unto you. I'll take that. Yeah, yeah that and, and there are
1: many, many of those uh, in, in the good book but the 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 quote unquote bad reaction is to staunchly remain by the side of the offenders and in in politics yes. you see that all the time i mean we saw this in our our french election and it happens everywhere it's just one example when we had very clear examples of wrongdoing on the part of one of the candidates and people were just mm-hmm. they kept defending him and going like ah oh, this is you know being fabricated and it's like at some point you yeah. And so I'm not sure in in that story of the Catholic Church, do you can you identify it all what what made what broke the camel's back? Like how did it, it okay, turn it, into?
0: It just kept coming. Mm. It was scandal after scandal after scandal, and what was worse was that every time there was a detailed report done, what came out was that it went higher and higher and higher up the hierarchy. It became more and more organized. It went from, you know, people running a di- running a local parish, to people running a diocese, to people running an archdiocese, to an order from the Vatican, saying that canon law should take primacy over the nation's laws. And if at all possible, it should be kept within the church and the authority should be actively cut out. We should not report crimes. And then horrific things like Bishop sitting down with children basically saying, yeah, yeah, we know what happened to you. Terribly sorry about that. Um, you now need to swear silence on pain of eternal damnation of your soul. So using the kids' faith against them to mentally torture them into, into secrecy. Mm. And it was so you know, perverted and so twisted. And it yeah. was against kids it was it, too much
1: it's certainly yeah it, it that seems like a powder keg like we don't see a, a lot in the world but not to comment more specifically i think this is interesting uh, when we're thinking about injustice in general and a mm-hmm. structure of power perpetuating those injustices and in that you know again i everyone will hear this and think ah oh, you know Maybe they're talking about this thing, or maybe they're addressing, you know, they're secretly want to target this thing that I have this or that opinion about. But really, I'm not sure that's the case. I think it's its a great example of the a, a structure of power, just in general, protecting the injustices that it perpetrates. And yeah. we look at this and it's very easy to think, well, yes, obviously, physical and, you know, sexual abuse of children. Oh, how could we ever? Of course, you know, I would never do something like that, like defend the structure of power that protects injustices. I would never do that. But this is different. You know, what we're talking about here is different, whatever the issue of the day is, be it, you know, uh. uh Slavery back in the day or, uh, you know, uh, uh, violence against black people in the US or whatever it may be in any part of the world. But yeah. I think it's really important to keep in mind what it's just one example. There are many which you are describing that. Today, we look at it and are horrified, but I guarantee you that back in the day, many of us, I'm not excluding myself from this. Might have looked at it and thought, oh, well, you know, it's just one person. You know, it happened once. Or, you know, that person, they they they, they are saying this, but it's not true. Or, like, they're lying. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get, you know, all of those things. And I'm, I guarantee you that many of the people, again, myself included, possibly, who are now looking at this and say, how could they? Outrageous, you know, like all of this. Mm-hmm. Might have just... Excused it, or because that's just how humanity
0: works. And right, so that's why I'm saying it. What the reason? The the reason it it led to where it did is because that initial reaction was there, and then another scandal came out, and another, Mm. and another, and eventually the oh, it's just a few bad eggs or a few bad apples. It breaks down in just this. Which is why it's so
1: important. It's so important to keep speaking out and yes. investigating and letting you know people do their investigative job and yeah yes
0: yeah and an the more stories came out the, and the more reports that discovered it, it was basically the cover up it was mm-hmm. as details were released about the cover up the bad the bad apples argument just melted away
1: right and now um, to talk about modern ireland mm-hmm. i guess the, this did shape uh, the the country into into what it is today um, yeah. how is Ireland today? We talked about the history of the country a lot um, we would need another hour and a half which we don't have to talk about Ireland today it, But um,
0: well I would say Ireland is actually quite a, a progressive and open country so Ireland was the first nation on planet earth to have a referendum which ratified gay marriage by popular vote the majority of Irish voters voted in favour of gay marriage now you can make the argument and I would have made the argument that putting minority rights to a to a, a popular vote is not actually appropriate but leaving that whole discussion aside <laughs> as a nation the majority of Irish people supported gay marriage that that is amazing when you when I remember the Ireland I grew up in in the 1980s mm. that's not the same country at all
1: and, and economically like how do you how do you... Economically,
0: yeah, so Ireland is... is
1: Except for the Silicon... not the Silicon Valley. How is it called? Silicon Valley of, of well, Ireland? Well, the
0: Ireland Silicon Valley, yeah, we, we just say we're in Ireland Silicon Valley, but it's... The whole nation, like if you pick any part of Ireland and you now say, how are you doing now compared to 40 years ago, the answer is much, much, much better. So an awful lot of investment has been put into the whole country. But that does not mean it's e- it's equal. So... It is highly, highly Dublin centric. So the government sits in Dublin. Most of the poly- most of the large industries in the Greater Dublin area and Cork. So Ireland has sort of two main cities: Dublin and Cork.
1: Yeah, but actually Blizzard Entertainment has their offices in Cork.
0: Um. Yeah, and the pharmaceutical industry in particular is extremely strong in Cork. Uh, just but, for context, so it, it's uh, six, even.
1: six million people in the country and. Uh, about 500,000 in Dublin, and mm. yeah.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, Dublin, Dublin skews everything. And because Dublin built out instead of up, that, that sort of in Dublin isn't only in Dublin. There's a ring of counties around Dublin that are effectively in Dublin. So, I'm in County Kildare, but it's effectively Dublin. It's not administratively Dublin, but it's effectively Dublin.
1: So, so you, do people go to Dublin if they want work? Or? Yes.
0: Yes, and that is that is part of the reason why we still have this divide. Because people who live out in in the rural parts of Ireland, if you want to get on in life, you first you go to university, which means that you leave your rural environment and you spend three to four years in one of the Irish Ireland cities—Dublin, Cork, Galway, Limerick, Waterford, wherever. But you're moving away, right? uh, Ish Uh, free tuition. But there's more costs involved than just tuition. Going to university is not cheap, but you don't pay your tuition. Right. That's what I meant by education. You but do pay a registration fee of that's a thousand euro ish, I think it is yeah. these days. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. so it, it's gotten very muddy, but effectively free tuition. Um, and then when you've, you come out of university, you then go look for work. And what you find is you do not go back to where you came from. So I grew up in rural Ireland on the border with Northern Ireland in a place called County Cavan. I did not go back. My brother, one of my, so I'm a family of three kids. I didn't go back. My youngest brother didn't go back. My old, my middle brother is the exception in our family. He still, he went back. He went to university in Dublin and came home. But the rest of us didn't. And that is repeated in every family we know. The vast majority leave for university and do not come back. So so you have a massive brain drain out of the rural areas. And are they
1: in disarray or is it not that bad?
0: It's not disarray. What it is, is... So the Irish government does a lot of investment and an awful lot of European investment is done in the poorer parts of the country, in the rural parts of the country. So you will see good road networks and the intention the, the what they're striving for is to pull industry into those regions by providing infrastructure first in the hope it will pull investment in do and they, it hasn't failed but it also isn't a success do they have internet in uh, wiring everywhere or that is an ongoing issue that that issue is being resolved but too slowly mm, okay so yes, they have internet, but no, they don't all have broadband. And the intention is that within the next two years, they will all have broadband, but it's yeah, too that's, slow. That's necessary,
1: right? If you want to, oh, vital, I mean, at vital. this point, you, you can't just have roads if you don't have fiber everywhere. Exactly. It's, yeah. not, it's so just no, it's not going
0: to work. It is happening, but it's, it's much slower than a lot of people want. And I would say it's much slower than it really should have been, because during the Celtic Tiger, Ireland had the money and that was the point in time when it could have been done mm. and it wasn't done enough
1: i think this is one of the uh, from what i'm seeing the problem one of the problems is either you have fiber in your countryside and i'm looking at finland mm-hmm. and we do in many areas um and then it's it's possible for people for remote workers for small yeah. companies for you know to just go and do their business from there, and you have either yep. roads or trains, and you can just go to the big city when you need to once or twice a week, if if that, um, yep. and yep. work from. And if you don't have fiber, then it's just it's not even a question. It's just not possible. Yes. So it really annoys yep. me and pains me when when people in every country don't, you know, realize how much of a vital investment in your future economy fiber is and when interests prevent this from happening and um okay yeah. i didn't want to ask about brexit and how i mean it seems from what everything you're describing it seems there wouldn't be a single soul in ireland that would be anti eu but how do you look at Brexit?
0: Ireland's relationship with the EU is awfully similar to Ireland's relationship with our own government, right? We love to complain about silly things <laughs> the EU does. And at the same time, as we drive down our roads, we see these massive blue signs everywhere with those gold stars saying that this road you're driving on now is EU road, this railway track you're on now is an EU railway track. I mean, it's everywhere road, here in the Irish mean, government.
1: E- e- by EU road, you mean...
0: Um you Everything mean in Ireland funded by, EU by funded by the EU or part funded by. so it's yeah. never the EU don't hand you a free check. The EU basically say, go develop a project, find most of the financing and we'll we'll throw in a bit. So EU structural funds have been used to to have been involved in the building of an awful, awful, awful lot of infrastructure here. and the Irish government have a policy that if EU money gets used, a giant big, massively tall sign in blue, with the EU logo on it, gets put up to say this was Why part funded by. Why do we, we not Dubai. have this? Why do we not have this in France? We should have this
1: everywhere <laughs> yes, in the entire EU. Yes, we should. U. I mean, for for God's sake, they should have this when the government fo- does something in the US, they should have a yes, massive sign saying yes. it. It seems so obvious. And we have an anti-EU sentiment in France. And sure, we'd like to complain about it as well. But I'm certain that if we had knowledge of the investment and help EU does uh, for us it, w- it would be not disappeared but it would be diminished but yeah. Anyway, sorry. So
0: the fact that it is so visible, that that blue logo is so visible. And so it's not just the EU logo on those signs. So the Irish government's various. So if let's say the National Roads Authority, then their icon will be on it. If it's done by a certain contractor, their icon will be on it. So everyone involved in the project gets their billing. It's not only the EU who get advertised. But everyone involved in making this bridge a reality or everyone involved in making this motorway a reality is on that big sign. And those gold stars on that blue background are all over the place. Now, the, the point where things might change is if the, it, when, when France and Germany start to say that Ireland needs to change its tax rules, we start to get much, much, much less pro-EU. <laughs> and one of our biggest allies in that was the United Kingdom. So the Irish Kingdom and Ireland were often very much allied. Now, this, the, the thing is, when it comes to agricultural policy, the Irish and the French are very much allied. So it's not, it's not simple. We don't have, it's not like Ireland against the EU or Ireland against France. It's on some issues. Ireland doesn't agree with France and Germany. On some issues, Ireland doesn't agree with Germany, but it does agree with France. I mean, it's very, very, very much more nuanced. Mm. But But what about the the Irish? The Irish are not. And the Irish, in general, the Irish opinion is what the bleep were the British thinking?
1: (laughs) Really? I mean, for our British listeners.
0: we, we We came in to work the morning after the Brexit vote, and it was a stunned silence with lots of people mouthing like goldfish, going, what the, but, but, but huh, huh, the, her? Huh? We consider them absolutely nuts.
1: Mm. Okay, I guess that answers my that question. Answers that question, yeah.
0: <laughs> um,
1: all right, well, as I mentioned a couple of times, we could be talking about all of this for a, a very long time. Um, but you do have to go and, and bike uh, before your storm hits. So anything else you want to yes. uh, mention before we close off the show about the country and something important we might
0: have missed? Um, I would just say that something we haven't talked about is the physical country. Um, I would say that if you haven't been to Ireland, consider coming here because... Physically, it is actually an extremely pleasant place to be because it's there are almost no extremes here. In the winter, it's less warm than in the summer. But it's not cold. In the summer, it's less cold than in the winter. But it's not really all that hot. We, With the exception of one hurricane, we tend not to get weather extremes. We don't get earthquakes. Uh, I mean, it, and the natural landscape, there is so much beauty in this country. It's not like... Himalayan mountains. It's just a gentle, subtle beauty. Everything is lush and green. It's a very peaceful sort of countryside with rolling hills and a lot of green. And even our mountains are really quite low as mountains go, but they're very beautiful. And our coastline, the Atlantic coast is a bit rugged, I'll give you that. But it's, it is a country without, it, without massive extremes, but extremely beautiful and very welcoming. So I would say if you haven't come, come over because it's, it's a lovely place to be and the people will be delighted to see you. Sounds
1: like there's a lot of pride in your... In there your is
0: country. an awful lot of pride and we have history here. Like we, You can go to the Hill of Tara and stand on the place where the high kings of Ireland were crowned thousands of years BC and there, you have a feeling that this landscape has been alive for thousands of years. If I go out on my bike, I will pass by probably 20 historical monuments today without even trying. Because it is a landscape that has been alive for millennia. And you feel it here. It's a country with a rich, rich history. I guess
1: if I I try to think of Ireland in non (laughs) uh, ridiculously disparaging ways, um, I would think of a small castle on an island on a lake somewhere.
0: It's a bit more Scottish than Irish. Um, guess, yeah. We, the ca- we don't, we're not big on our castles here. Um, mm. But a lot of Stone Age, Iron Age, like, you know, ring so forts, hill forts. There are It's not that we don't have castles, but uh, we don't tend to focus on them as much because they come with a caveat that they're all English. <laughs> right the, you know the, who was building the castles and why oh sugar you know <laughs>
1: okay i guess that does make sense
0: all right um i guess that is going to be it um yeah uh, as i say we could talk forever between yeah. like you could do a 10 episode special on northern ireland <laughs> and i don't know how many episodes you could do on brexit i mean <laughs> well we've done a few a already place. But, uh, yeah you know. All right. Okay.
1: Well, thank you very much for being on the show. And uh, before we leave, of course, as always, would you mind telling people where they can find uh, more of you because you're a prolific podcaster yourself?
0: Oh, thank you very much. I think the easiest single link to give out is bartb.ie because no one can spell my surname. So I just went with Bart B. <laughs> Um, and I do host two of my own podcasts. So they're, they're the Let's Talk series of podcasts. So Let's Talk Apple is a monthly show where we take the big picture look at Apple news. So we, we step away from the day-to-day minutiae and try to look at the big picture. And then Let's Talk Photography is about the art and craft of photography, not about the technical minutiae of do I buy this lens or that lens or this model of camera, or that model of camera. No, no, it's, it's, it's much more about the bigger picture stuff there, too. So they're at lets-talk.ie.
1: Excellent. I I will have the link to your Twitter account <clears throat> to your Twitter account in the show notes of course Excellent. as always. Uh, for me, it's not Patrick on Twitter. You can find this show at FrenchSpin.com, where you will also find Pixels, which is a show about gaming. Um, if you want to help us out, uh, you can do one of two things: go to iTunes and leave us a comment and a review. That would be very much appreciated uh, as it does help people find the show. Um, I mean iTunes or any other um, you know podcast. App and catalog that you use, and uh, if you really want to help us out, why not head over to f- patreoncom slash Club, which is also linked in the show notes, and which you can, where you can uh, support the show financially. You can give us, you know, the amount of a coffee or a beer every episode, and uh, that of course helps the show be created because that's how I make a living so if you think the show is worth something then maybe consider going to patreon.com slash the Club it would be very very much appreciated so thank you in, av- in advance for considering it and that's gonna be it for today's episode we will be back uh, probably in about a week with a regular episode and uh, it should be an interesting one we hope to talk to you there bye